0: or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty, Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC.
2: Hello and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. It is Thursday, September the 28th, a little after 9 a.m. Central Time. Rob Howe joined by Scott Doctorman from The Athletic. Scott, people are pissed. People are mad. Uh, that's what I hear anyway. I've tried to avoid as much of it as I can. I know you're more, uh, entrenched in that in your job description compared to mine. You have to, uh, handle it more than I do.
1: And, uh, I'm sure it's not been fun. No, it's, it's been a, you know, it's, we're like returning back to last year and the end of 2021 and 2016 for good measure and 2012, it's the same same old, same old, same old, same old. And, uh, and
2: I just I, want to know, I, are you asking tough questions? And well, people want to know if you're asking tough questions.
1: You know what, Rob? Um, that's why I have the tough
2: questions folder. Okay. Is that so, uh, with tough questions?
1: No. <laughs> just exactly <laughs> like people think, right? No. It's 2023
2: edition.
1: but uh... <laughs> We need to fill that thing. People yes. start sending your tough questions in. I need to uh, need to kill some dead trees and put it in there. I, I the reason why it's empty is because it's 2023 and it's it's all digital these days. That's right. You know, I've I've got you know I've got you- the
2: PDF version of the tough question folder.
1: Here here's the t-
2: 2022 version. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can recycle a lot of those. Yeah, things. right. I
1: could just pull off a bunch of them and then it'll from all
2: 2012
1: work. and 14. And just yeah. pull out
2: those tough question folders.
1: Yeah, just uh, change the names <laughs> from Ken O'Keefe and and Greg Davis and you know Brian Ference, what you know season one, two, three, four, and five. And, six of course so yes it's uh it's been a you know this week has been a year no question and uh but you know what I kind of get it in fact I do get it I get the frustration it's not just uh it's not just a a small part of the fan base that's agitated and you know mad because they lost or anything like that because that's You know, you're going to lose games, and Penn State's a good team. So I'm not going to get on that. But when it's the same old situation every year, and it doesn't matter, you know, the faces change, who's running the offense changes on the field. Um, Oh, the line is supposed to be better, they're more mature. Or we got new wide receivers and a quarterback who won a championship, and yet. The game plan seems the same. The scheme's the same. And unfortunately for Iowa, the offensive results are the same. I get that people have reached their fill of anger and vitriol. And that the tit- it's close to a tipping point, Rob. this is where they got to really be concerned. The, the next stage is isn't more anger, it's apathy. And when they get to that level, we saw it with basketball. And it has been a really difficult climb to get back to. It, it's not back to what it was 25 years ago, it, and it may not ever be. But with football, you really can't do that because um, that pays the bills for everything. So, um, anyway, I, I'll I'll start my rant or my rant right now. But I I do think right now that they are close to a tipping point regarding the offensive production of turning people from being fans to apathetic bystanders.
2: Yeah, we're what 20, 30 games into this now? If you go from the start of 2021, we're mm-hmm. 30 games in. I mean, that's a lot of games to watch an offense. And it hasn't been 30 games of yeah. ineptness. There's been there have been good moments on offense. Um last year at Purdue I thought was a really good plan and, and good execution, especially under the I know people were pissed at that, but mm-hmm. under the, you know, um, weather circumstances, it made complete sense, and you and I have talked about that. There are games where it goes well. It's just that sometimes, man, when it looks like it did on Saturday, it's it's excruciating. Uh, I think the they got a first down with like 11 minutes left in the first quarter, and then they didn't get another one, I think, until Deacon Hill came in. Is that right?
1: Yeah, they had two in the first quarter and two late in the game.
2: And that's, and then they, what, six three and outs or seven in a row? And then there was – I think it was six in a row. Then there was the strip sack on McNamara. I think that was Chop Robinson that came yeah. on that one and beat Mason Richmond again. Um, and then um, there was another three and out, and then I think Deacon Hill came in, and I think he may have gone through. And so I, whatever it was was just – I mean, as bad as you could – you know imagine an Iowa offense looking it looked like that Saturday that was when nothing is working and unfortunately for Iowa Scott too often not enough works it's not yeah. always as bad as it was Saturday but there's just i think if you look at just if you polled people outside of the program what their confidence level in is in Iowa's offense right now it's zero I mean, to win a game, if you ask fans, can this offense win you a game against a decent team? I don't think people would, would buy into that. And they have evidence that it's not going to happen. And it could still happen, but yeah. at this point, it's definitely show me time.
1: Yeah, right. If it's 21 to 17, let's say that they need a touchdown, and there's five minutes to go, they got the ball on their own 25, with five minutes to go you know enough time to move down the field and score even really to fully implement most of your offense do people do fans believe or even bystanders and reporters believe yeah they can go 75 yards in five minutes to score a game-winning touchdown absolutely not there's just nothing nothing here against a decent team that makes you think yeah they could go down and do that whether it's against Iowa State or Penn State or who knows, even Michigan State, um, you're, you, they've got to prove this. And I don't know that they can at this point because it just looks broken. It looks They make offense look so hard, and then you look around the sport and everybody else makes it look so easy. You know, they just, oh, they throw the ball here. And, you know, there's no quick passing game. Um, 14 catches by wide receivers through four games – how are you in God's green earth supposed to bring people in? Why would anybody want to come here? I mean, at least with, you know, with Caleb Brown, when he came, that was when the 25 points per game thing was a part of it. And Seth Anderson wanted to take that big jump. And, and you, could, you, you could always sell those people by saying, hey, um, we just, we've just we been really struggling at wide receiver. You're a guy that can really come in and help us out. But if you're not going to get them the ball or even attempt it or scheme it, why would anybody want to come here? I mean, you're you're looking at in-state walk-on type players that are going to – the only ones that are going to want to come to Iowa in the future if something doesn't radically change here. And so you're going to hurt your recruiting. And as I wrote the other day, the top three teams in the country in total offense are all in the Pac-12 coming to the Big Ten, Oregon, Washington, and USC. And then four others in the Big Ten, Penn State, Ohio State – uh, Maryland, and, oh, and, and then you UCLA, so they're coming in too. Are all, they're all in the top 34? And I know that this team's built a certain way, complementary football, defense first, all that stuff. That's not going to matter. You're going to have to try to keep up. You know, you're not going to be able to, to hold everybody to seven points or less. And as we saw last year, that isn't even always a guarantee. So they're going to have to do something different. And if and if Kirk can't change this it's going to be hard for anybody to, to fans to even want him back. And that's going to, you know, I mean, you hate to see that, but at some point you've got to make a change. You have to, or you die. And then it becomes the end of the of the Fry era and nobody wants to see that.
2: Yeah. It's definitely feels like a, uh, a crossroads. I don't know if that's the right way to frame it, but it just feels like it. I don't know if Brian Ferentz can make this work in in you know in conjunction with his dad. If this if this setup is working, I don't know if it's Kirk holding him back by his philosophy. If Brian would open things up or change what Iowa is doing, given 100% control over that, or even 90%. We just, we won't know because this is the setup. It's Kirk Ferentz's philosophy uh, and approach. And Ken O'Keefe was the most hated man in Iowa football when he was here. Greg Davis was, you know, dragged through the coals when he was here. And now Brian Ferentz. And this one's different, Scott, because he's the head coach's son, which just creates a dynamic and has made this thing go Viral. It's national. When Iowa performs like it did Saturday at State College, everybody's laughing at it.
1: Right. And when you're looking around Iowa at the same time and you see this great game on Ohio State Notre Dame and and you see before it with. Colorado and, and uh, Oregon although Colorado didn't play well but they were also uh, they've been really energized with the new staff and new players and all that And then you look at Iowa 31 to nothing 76 total yards they got they're outplayed 97 to 33 when they give up more than 46 minutes or more than 45 minutes almost 46 minutes of time of possession you get out by 300 plus yards and then you start talking about, and this is where Kirk has to be careful. And I don't think he gets it. I, I just don't that it's a team game. and It's a team loss. Yes. The, the defense didn't play great at times. And and I'll say that the, the drive to open the third quarter was really that what broke the, the back of the team, but at the same time, you know, it's uneven you know you could complain about defense but they hold them to a higher much higher standard uh, of performance than they do the offense and or special why teams. yeah or special teams it's like if they shank a punt he'll talk about it in the post game or if they miss a tackle or if they give up a big play it's like yeah well we didn't do this or we didn't get off the field when we needed to or whatever how about getting more than one three and you know than one first down in the in the Day, you know, <laughs> just that's to me what you've got to strive for because when you, even when you play that way and you play really, really well, one play will get you beat. That was kind of the the problem with Marty Schottenheimer all those years in the NFL that he played so well and they were so tight, close to the vest that one bad play or one good play from the other team, boom, gets you beat. And Kirk's that way anyway. But when you can't do anything offensively. it it, you're just gonna i think iowa fans have finally reached the end and i I think he doesn't want to admit it and but he's got to make a change he's got to make a change of coordinator even if it's not brian's fault it's brian's fault uh, or it's his own fault it's one of the two he either needs to completely get out of the way and only make decisions on fourth down and one and that's it and be a, a or he's got to say Brian, you're out, and John Budmeyer, you're calling plays. Because if this happens again, fans won't show up and they'll protest. And if John
2: is made the offensive coordinator, co-offensive coordinator, he will be the most hated man in, yeah. in Iowa football. Because Kirk has to change this philosophy and fundamentally, and just how he. I don't. I don't even think it needs to be wholesale changes, Scott. Just adjust and modernize what you're doing look at kansas state look at north dakota state look at schools that still minnesota at times although minnesota is a bad example yeah. after what they did on saturday but you can still run be a power football team but run concepts that are modernized and are less predictable and put the defense on its heels and Iowa still hasn't figured out how to do that. And that, I mean, it's 25 years of the same head coach. And that's, that stuff worked mm-hmm. 20 years ago. It certainly yeah. worked 20 years ago, but it's not working now. And I don't know if he's capable of changing that. I, I I mean, it'd be great if he did. I just, it almost feels like it's a tug of war, Scott, of him wanting to prove that what he does works to the
1: people who doubt him. Yeah. it's He's two of his greatest traits as a head coach and why he's a Hall of Fame coach, in my opinion, is that he's incredibly loyal and he's stubborn in many of the right ways. However, those are also detriments in why he's um, a Hall of Fame coach but not considered a generational coach. Because had he modernized his offense and – done some of those things over time, I think that Kirk Ferentz might be viewed as maybe like Bill Snyder or some of the other, you know, maybe South of Nick Saban, but everybody else is too. But I mean, considered a no brainer, you know, he would have won more games certainly. And, but you know, when you look at like to me, I think there's two areas that I look at most of all, one is running quarterback and the fact that they have, they do not in any way, shape, or form want anybody that can run the football at that position. It's all passing. It's like 1970s NFL. You know, no, we don't want Fran Targerton here. He's a scrambler. You're supposed to stay in the pocket and throw. Well, you know, when you look back at Beathard in 2015, he, you know, before sacks, he ran for 450 yards. He ran for 34 first downs as a, as a quarterback. The last three-plus years from, the you know, three years plus the first four games this year, quarterbacks ran for 31, and that includes sneaks and with, with Petrus. So what are you doing? You know, th- that's where you get when it's third and seven and things break down, take off. You know, McNamara was able to do that a little bit the other day. He's still limping. Uh, and then the other area in this one speaks to the program at large. And all the systemic issues that have as has, has dealt with it, and and that is the wide receivers. Um, when you look at the numbers of of attrition over, you know, what twenty four? I think I counted it up. Twenty four uh, receivers that they've recruited over the last ten years through the twenty twenty two class, and only four ended up, you know, with finishing with their eligibility at Iowa. Now some uh, as a wide receiver. Now some flipped the defense. Some, oh, you know, like Jay Shield had to medically retire. But they've misidentified and then they've they've ruined (laughs) receivers. And uh, and at this point, when you when you look at even just what's happened the last couple of years in 2019, Rob, they the receiving core caught 169 balls, which was the tie for the most in program history. Uh, last year, it was 76, which was the fewest for the receiving group since 82. Now, they've caught 14 through four games. And, and then you start to look at things like Charlie Jones, who, you know, caught 21 passes. And remember, everybody thought, you know, tried to justify it, saying, well, he's just a rotational guy. Oh, he only went and led the country in, in 110 catches. And the problem for Iowa and the way that their bounce back will be is, yeah, but we beat Purdue last year. That shouldn't have anything to do with it. It should be utilizing the players you have. And, you know, right now, 33% of their targets have been to wide receivers. That's by far the lowest in the country. 67% is the median. So it's just. You know, those are the issues I see right away, and they're really obvious. And how in God's green earth are you supposed to recruit receivers in the portal or even freshman receivers when you have those kind of numbers?
2: Looks like Purdue's found a way to to use Tyrone Tracy Jr.
0: Um, Yeah.
1: So,
2: and that's the thing you wonder, can Mm -hmm. you know, with with guys like Caleb Brown, who maybe doesn't fit the, you know, the the, the, uh, prototypical wide receiver mold. Um, he's a smaller guy. He played running back in high school, but how and Kirk talked about this on Tuesday putting the players in the best positions to succeed. And I would just is not doing that on the offensive side of the football. I asked guys that are much smarter than me, and, and you're much smarter than me when it comes to football and, you know, schematics and, and understanding those parts of the game. I asked Jovan and Jordan Kanzari, Jovan Johnson, Jordan Kanzari. They both landed on the receivers, Scott. They both were like, you got to, you know, against Penn State, they're daring you. They're playing one-on-one coverage, man. Mm-hmm. And you can't beat your guy? Or or are you beating your guy and the quarterback's not getting you the ball? What's going on there? It's hard to tell on TV replay. I tried to watch on the replay, but it's just hard. They, they stay on the ball, so it's hard to see what's really going on downfield with the receivers. But those guys both pointed that out. And then they also said, surprised by... Lack of development on the d- offensive line. You know, this is a year where you figure Iowa would be rock solid on the offensive line. They go through these patches, Scott, where they're replacing and and young, and and they've got veteran guys on the offensive line now. All these guys have experience. There's there's no, with the exception maybe of Jennings Dunker, but he's four games into this and he yeah. played guard. I mean, he's played before. Um, that's surprising to me. It's not been good. It's it hasn't been good when it's had to be good. Um, fortunately for Iowa, it played three very winnable games in the non-conference.
1: Yeah, the, you know, and I I don't want to give them any passes because I don't think they've earned it. Um, Penn State is really really good, oh, especially yeah. defensively. And and this was a game where I looked at them as unless there was a pick six or or something to that effect that the upper left ceiling for them even if a good with a good day was maybe three scoring drives because they they are lead at all three levels they may be a playoff team you know so okay you know but i and i think people understand that you know that maybe it was going to be a tough game you know and it has been in the past however when you look at just the you know the the whole picture that's where the problem lies and that there is no benefit of the doubt because they exhausted it a couple of years ago. <laughs> you know, when, in, in 2021, when they started six and zero, and offense looked eh, not real good, but you thought maybe they get better and it didn't, it got worse. And then they, then they scraped and clawed and still got to the division title, got crushed in the big 10 championship. And you thought, okay, you know, on the big stage, you got smoked. What are you going to do differently now? You know, and well, what we're going to do is we're going to move Brian to the quarterbacks, you know, coaching. And that's what started this. Are you kidding me? And then and then things got so much worse last year. And and then whether it's Kirk trying to buy it, you know, trying to sell a product that isn't there saying, oh, yeah, this year, the the maturity along the line, you know, they're going to be better. Well, the, the fact is that when you look at the line, there's no. There's no first rounder here. There's no Tristan Wirfs or, you know, Alec Jackson, you know, would have been a a draft pick had some things not (laughs) materialized at Iowa. But, you know, he's a starting left tackle in the NFL. Let's put it that way. Um, But, you know, Tyler Linderbaum, there's none of those. You know, Mason Richmond's probably a guard at the next level, you know, that sort of thing. So they're dealing with what they can deal with. But uh, they should be better. And But that part... You know, we can all see and agree with and, and discuss the, the varying degrees of how good they're going to be. However, the, off, the, the philosophy, the schematics, the it, trying to get the ball to the wide receiver. I mean, the 11 personnel is, is to typically the three receiver set that most college football uses these days. I was only employed at 57 times over four games. And, and then you look at tight end, 76 of their plays have come with two tight ends on the field. Now when you had Lachey in all, okay, I got to buy that. You don't have Lachey anymore and yet the other night they ran a lot of two and three tight end sets and it's like you're not what are you doing here? You know. Is that to protect the offensive line? They're not using them to protect the offensive line. That's the problem. Yeah. They're still running routes with them. They're not, you know, they're still arrogant in their protection where they're still saying mason richmond you block chop rob robinson that's not a winning strategy we've seen that before when they've had overmatched tackles go against great pass rushers and still not provide a chip or a double team or anything it's like no you're going to block him because that's the way we do things and it's it's the the errors are so obvious and, you know, with blinking lights and strobe lights, it's like, God, why don't you see this? And yet, you know, I I don't know, you know, and I, I don't know what you thought, Rob, uh, watching the body language this week of the players, you know, Nico in particular and Kane, especially not good, not happy at all. And, you know, is some of it their own fault? Yeah. But, that doesn't mean that that's all uh, their fault, per se. You know, that there's a lot there's a lot that the offense could do to put them in a better position to succeed. And whether it's the head coach or the offensive coordinator not doing it, one of the other is the case. Not
2: breaking any news, but I've heard from some folks that are uh, in the wide receiver room that aren't happy with how things have gone, um, just in terms of their involvement in the offense, and I'm not sure – why they aren't leaning more on the receivers. And maybe that's the path forward here. And we see that this week against a team that's going to uh, be a little less or a little more giving than what Penn State was. But uh, talk about the quarterback a little bit here, Scott. I think we should. Um, He was brought in, as we both wrote last week, to win and play well in games like Saturday night at Penn State. He did not play well. Um, and there's context, and there's nuance, and is he being put in position to succeed? And is he making the plays? Is he executing? Are the right plays being called? Those are tough, tough uh, questions to answer because we're not in the meeting rooms. We're not in the huddles. We don't know exactly what's going on. But if you just look at it from, raw, from a raw numbers perspective, Spencer Petras had better numbers through four weeks last week or last year than what McNamara has this year. And that's with a game at Penn state. So there's context there. Petrus opened against Rutgers last year in the big 10. That was his fourth game, but then Spencer came out and was decent against Michigan. He wasn't the reason they lost that game to Michigan. He did. have, I mean, he was sacked four times, I think and had a turnover in that game, but, uh, he played better in that game than Kay did the other night for sure. Yeah. And again, context, what's going on around them? Is the, how's the offense playing? Um, you know, you had Laporta and Lachey last year. That's a difference. Uh, so obviously there's personnel differences here, but I just think even if you throw the numbers out and, sit, and McNamara had, had some has had better numbers than Spencer at this point in the season, I don't think. For whatever reason, I don't know how much of it is his fault. He has not lived up to expectations to this
1: point in the season. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I think he feels that, and, and there there's an obvious disconnect between him and uh, Brian. I mean, because the numbers wouldn't be this bad. I mean, he...
2: you see a lot of. Do you notice that when he comes to the sideline? Some Scott, Scott. I sorry to interrupt, but that there seems to be like. And and I think that's pretty normal, but confusion, you know, when when he comes to the sideline about what's being run, and and it seems like he and Brian oftentimes, and maybe that's just natural with the offensive coordinator and the quarterback, it seems like it's happening, and maybe it's magnified because of the struggles, but it seems like there's a lot of that going on when he gets back to the sideline. What was that? What did you see? This And and I get that, but as you said, to to, – agree with your point of a disconnect i it doesn't seem like they're on the same page
1: no they're not you know it's pretty obvious and and when you lo- look at the way the quarterback has played he has not played well at all and especially the last two weeks where he's completed less than 30 percent of his passes that's you know you, you can't win anything that way you know so i think in some ra- ways um this is where they're at a real crossroads rob now they could go out and beat the daylights out of Michigan State because Michigan State—you want to talk about turmoil? They—they're full of more turmoil than any other program. They haven't been on the road. They're coming to Kinnick at night. Uh, all those things line up for Iowa. But if this—if this offense continues to struggle, Rob, it's gonna—that it, kind of passion turns the opposite way, and it's gonna be booing, and it's gonna be anger, and it's gonna create a lot more frustration. And as a head coach, Kirk Ferentz needs to get a grip on this and understand what is the commonality here. Why is our offense struggled all these years? Well, me, and the play caller, and is he getting putting the right play structure together? Is he not only calling the right plays that one's decided by Wednesday practically, but is he putting the right coordination together is he trying to do maximize the ability of the players around him and how much is he listening to a veteran quarterback who really came in with a lot of equity and is built upon that equity here his performance has not equaled that equity but the players seem to still be a rallying around him that that disconnect could grow and really bastardize and become uh, players versus coaches and if that happens yeah, we could see two thousand six all over again very, very, very quickly.
2: Yeah, no doubt. It's a uh it's a critical point and two winnable games the next two weeks, which I will be favored. And I think it's more than just winning though, Scott. I think it's showing progress and showing that you're capable of putting together usable offense. And that's really what I think people are going to be focused on the next two weeks. I know Kirk is focused on winning, and that is the most important thing. You have to win the football game. You play to win the game. Yeah. I get that. But there also needs to be some signs that you can win at Wisconsin. And are you advancing your offense to the point where you can go to into Madison and make enough plays offensively to win that game? Switching to defense, um, I, I don't uh, – it's not as good as it was last year. I'm not breaking any news there. But with what it lost, there should have been expected growing pains. I think so far this year, um, the focus, or at least what is being looked at, is a lack of a pass rush, and we heard early in the season it, that was based on the offenses they were playing, quick throw offenses, and then the lack of takeaways, which probably – is connected to a lack of a pass rush, right? When quarterbacks have a lot of time, it's much harder for defensive backs to stay in coverage and pick the ball off. So those two are connected. Linebacker play has been good. Um I, I don't get gaga over tackle numbers um
1: because those can be misleading, but... Yeah, when you're – I was going to say <laughs> – I mean, well, uh, sorry to interrupt, but when you're out there on the field for 97 plays, you're going to have a lot of tackles. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And I would submit that um,
2: Anthony Hitchens was better the year he had fewer tackles than the year yeah. he had a lot of tackles. So right. keep that in mind as well. So um, I think this defense will be fine. I think it's going to get better. I think it's going to improve. The pieces are there. But last year, the offense – could could expect the defense to carry it. It can't this year, at least at this
1: point in the season. And that's where we are. Yeah. And and there again, it, it like last week, the defense had no, you know, for being out there 97th place to not have any sacks, interceptions, forced fumbles, pass breakups, um, that's pretty tough to do. Um it but uh yeah it, it kid, does show that there's some kid is good. kids again yeah. quarterback.
2: He's really good. Yeah. I mean, he made some throws that you're like, Holy crap. The the. go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're right.
1: you're right. You're right. <laughs> you're right. Um, when you have a left tackle, who's going to be a top 10 pick. Yeah. He's good. I mean, he pretty much neutralized Deontay Craig. Yeah. And, uh, and then you have, you know, a pretty good front across the board anyway. I don't think their skill players are as good as they were. Not, you know, there's no Barkley there. There's probably no Jahan Dotson there or anything. No Pat Fryer at wide at tight end. I think they're good. I think Theo Johnson's good. I think, you know, but Drew Aller, on the other hand, yeah, I mean, you know, not to get too far out there, but, you know, what is he like a, a Joe Burrow? I mean, he's still young. He's just a true sophomore, and he – Okay. He took that step forward that he needed to do. He took the, and that's what Penn state's really missing. I mean, as great as trace McSorley was, he wasn't quite the the passer. He was more of a runner who could do a lot of different things, which is kind of what Iowa's offense needs right now. But, but, you know, this guy is, you know, you're going to see him on Sundays pretty soon, you know, (laughs) way it's going two years tops. Uh, But you know, that said, you're, you know, you're right. The, the last year you had 37 sacks this year, you have three. And what are you missing? Well, you're missing a, a top 15 NFL draft pick and Lucas Van Ness who they didn't even start, but then, you know, John Wagoner and Noah Shannon were a part of that and they were, you know, whether they were impactful in, in pass rush situations is debatable, but they allowed other people to be to elite. And then, Seth Benson was a really good pass rusher. Jack Campbell affected play all over the field, no question. And and you're not going to replace him. That's that's bar to even think that. Uh, however, I will say Jay. Okay. Yeah, Moss and DeJean at corner. Yeah, right. Um, and, I, and I think other than one play, you know, Harris has been pretty good. I think, And I think D- Deshaun Lee was pretty good. With he the, got beat that. on a touchdown the other night, but that throw was ridiculous. Yeah. And so was the catch. He was yeah. in position. Yeah. So, I, you know, I really don't have a lot of concerns there. In fact, I probably feel better about the secondary today than I did three or four weeks ago. You know, because I think Lee stepped up to the point of, all right, I think he could play. And maybe even entering her two, because he's played some Um, but they're going to have to do something with the pass rush. And whether that's try somebody different, do more loops, more stunts. Uh, You know, we say all this, Robin, we know what's going to happen probably Saturday night where they're going to get five sacks, four turnovers, a pick six or something. And it's like, everything's with great defense. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You know, they're not going to (laughs) blitz. They're going to, they're going to shut them all down. Um, But you know, the one number that I really like about this defense a lot is there's, they're still seventh, Rob, in the country in yards per play allowed at 4.2. That is outstanding defense. And especially after what they had to deal with the other day, that's, that's good stuff. And then finally, um, you know, I thought Jay Higgins might be a good player. I think he's an exceptional player. I think he's outstanding. Now, late in the game, I know people are saying something, but I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's rainy, it's cold, you're going against that team, and you're out on the field 90-plus plays. Don't expect him to be out, be out there looking like Micah Parsons or something. Uh, he's not Jack Campbell, but he's a dude, man. And, and I thought Nick Jackson's played well, too. I thought I think both of them, tandem-wise, they're better than I thought they would be. Um, it's really about getting a pass rush because once you start disrupting the pass game, that makes the quarterback antsy, and that's where eyes on the quarterback, being in the right position, that's where turnovers take place.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I noticed Nick's starting to play a little faster, which is a good sign. And uh he's somebody I think that they can use to help the pass rush. Um, There's often times I noticed the other night against Penn State where he's on he's on the weak side and pretty much is eliminated from the play that's being run because they're just staying away from him. He's co- trying to come across the defense to make a play and he can't. Those are the types of situations where if they can read those right, they can send him from the weak side and help. But I think there's uh, Phil still trying to f- figure out some of the newer personnel and what works. And I still, I have no, I have no concerns about the defense. I don't think it's going to be the reason I will lose its football games going forward. It wasn't the reason Iowa lost the other night. Um, and I still think, you know, you got to. A new strong safety who's starting to, you know, he's he's picking it up, but it's it takes a while, you know, it's going to take a little bit a while. So they'll be they'll be okay on that side of the ball, Scott, and uh, just some bad luck on special teams. The punt off of DS Fernandez was just, I mean, Cooper was yelling, he was trying to, he was he was yelling, get out of the way or yeah. or whatever the hell. Poison, whatever you know, when that stuff, happens. Yeah. But hundred thousand people, it's hard to hear. And and Brandon was just trying to make
1: a play, trying to block the guy. Yeah, it wasn't as bad as like I I don't know if you remember like five years ago with Wisconsin when the ball kind of bounced yes. and hit Sean Byers' leg. This one was just like wrong place, wrong time. You're running up the sideline, your backs to the ball. 100. I mean, it was 110,000. I mean, it was the second biggest crowd they ever had, and it was boisterous despite the rain. and And so it's hard to hear. And it was a shanked punt, <laughs> so it's just bad luck on so many fronts. And 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 that's probably if you're Iowa, it's those plays that you just kind of you know. And like they muffed a punt too. But then it went right to them. So there were in the first half was to me about more like bad luck than bad play. Because you know, Eric all fumbles, is you know, going and, down. You know, just, just a little bit more, he's down. Yeah. And if if anything else, if if he holds on to the ball, they throw three incompletions, then they punt a, you know, they kick a field goal, and then mm-hmm. that's ten to three at halftime, and you feel like, yeah, we're kind of in it. Um, second half is about getting run getting Caught in a zamboni. I mean, I'll I'll give you an example of kind of a metaphor for the weekend. You know, when I mean, you know how that trip sucks so many ways because it's hard to get there. You can't stay in State College because it's six hundred dollars a night. So I'm staying in a two star in Altoona that's that recently went from being smoking to non smoking, and so you can smell it. The and it's like stale, gross nineteen seventies cigarettes. On my way back in the rain, you know, three a.m. I smoked a skunk. I just blew them oh. up. And it just the whole car stunk after that. And it's like, you know, and then you, and then I walk into the smell of that ugh, stale c- cigarettes. It's like the stink is like the perfect metaphor for the whole weekend, you know? <laughs> so that's kind of what the second half was for Iowa. I mean yeah. stinky. Yeah. I mean, four plays in the third quarter, you know, and they ran what, 32 or whatever it was. So uh You just, you you can't win. You can't win at all that way.
2: No, you cannot. And uh, that is one that will, people will remember like 2017 Wisconsin and other um, games where Iowa just got um, dominated. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And it certainly did the other night. Uh, Good time to take a break here before we move on and we'll do a... Our, talk a little bit about this weekend's game against Michigan State, what we see there, and then come back for our picks. I don't think I did very well, but uh, I'll keep you guys in suspense until Scott tells us how we did mm-hmm. later in the show. But uh, support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of pro- providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That is sui.org. Systems Unlimited. Over a half century of helping folks in the community and a couple years of helping us on the podcast, and we appreciate all that they do. Let's hear from a few more sponsors, and Scott and I will be back on the other side.
1: Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps, to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at StreetsMaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483.
0: Hi, this is AJ Perez, Managing Partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Milwaukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars. We help people buy them.
2: All right, reloaded the coffee. We're in good shape here to finish this one and take it home. Scott, mm-hmm. uh, Iowa, I think last I looked, 12, 12 and a half point favorite this weekend against visiting Michigan State first road game of the season for the Spartans. It has not been a good year in East Lansing. Uh Mel Tucker officially fired yesterday on Wednesday, September the 27th. Harlan Barnett is the acting head coach. Um, and the interesting thing, I think it was in the hour back that I saw a tweet this, the, the Spartan players now have a 30 day window. If they want to go into the transfer portal, that can be uneasy. And I know coach Barnett talked yesterday or, or Tuesday about, you know, his locker room staying together. And we hear that. And and it's a good sign uh, that nobody's at least to him at this point has talked about wanting to go. Um But it's unsettling. It's got to be an unsettling situation. And, uh, you know, the guy that brought them in is gone now. Um, their position coaches are there. So that helps, obviously, because those are the people that they're close to. Um, but this is a game. This should be a get, get, right game for, for Iowa, Scott. Um, the odds makers expect it to be in, go Iowa's way. Obviously with that point spread, uh, they also expect a low scoring game. I <laughs> think mm. it's 36 and a half. Go figure. Iowa ranks 105 out of 130 in scoring offense at 21.2. And the Spartans check in at number 92 in scoring offense at 23 points per game. So could see a lot of Tory Taylor and whoever the Michigan state punter is this week.
1: Yeah, you know, it's too bad for them. It's not uh, Bryce Berenger. You know, no. He's now in the NFL. Uh, you can see kind of like Pump-Paloosa, or Pumpalooza and Piscataway last year. It would have been the same way, you know, kick fest at Kinnick, you know, <laughs> uh, this weekend. But uh, Michigan State's not a very good team. Uh, let's just start with that. Uh, a lot of that started even in the offseason when uh, they lost their quarterback and then the, the awesome receiver that is Keon Coleman to mm-hmm. you know when he went to Florida State. When they, when they lost those two, Peyton Thorne and, and Keon Coleman, that changed the dynamic of Michigan State from being a competitive, lower, you know, mid to lower tier bowl type team in the Big Ten to now um, hanging on and probably not going to a bowl game type of team. They, they rely heavily on explosive plays on offense, which Iowa is built to defend. They have, you know, two receivers that really can do that. Iowa will have to avoid that, which means also that they um, stay in the pocket long, longer, which means more pass rush situations in a loud stadium that's got an anger and vitriol, as we know, as we talked about it for the last hour. Um, defensively, they are, they've got good athletes. They've got an outstanding linebacker that would fit right in with Iowa. A guy, you know, Cal Halliday, who's – Shit, if you, you know, if he was wearing black and gold, everybody love him like the with Josie Jewell type, you know. Um, but this is not a good team. I mean, Carter, their running back, is is pretty decent. They have him involved in every aspect of the offense, but they're not very good at rushing the ball. They're explosive in the passing game. But la- the last two weeks they've been outscored 72 to 16 by Washington and Maryland. Um this is one, you know, and they're a wounded team, obviously. They haven't left the state. They haven't left home. They've been four games at home. And coming to Kinnick, you put them down early, and then then they'll hit the over. and And they'll hit the over, and they'll cover <laughs> by halftime if they want to.
2: Yeah, and I think if history tells us anything, Scott, I think it's important for Iowa to start quickly on offense. Because if it doesn't, the boos you'll be hearing will be said, will, will people will say that they're not directed at Kate McNamara, but it doesn't really matter when you're booing the offense. You can't single out who you want to boo at. I'm booing at you, Brian. I'm yeah. booing at you, Kirk. It, it's booing the the offense and the team. And that can be infectious. It really can. It can, it can definitely get in there and make the – I think at times it got to Spencer Petrus and um, – Ultimately you still have to play through that and get out there and execute what you're being told to execute. But um, you know, it's I just wonder how much confidence there is. They tell us they're confident, but I wonder how much confidence there is in the plan that they have and in the guys around them. You know, I you see you see it on the field sometimes. You see the frustration and it's natural. I mean, it's human nature. Um, and Iowa really has to fight through that because this game kind of sets up like the Nebraska game last year, where Iowa has no business losing this game. But if you allow the other team to hang around, there's an injury, bad play, ball doesn't bounce your way. Then you put yourself in position to have a really bad loss.
1: Yeah, and if that's the case, then all bets are off for this whole season. Um, everything's at stake at that point. Um, you know, that's why they need to get, develop some confidence early. And the best possible thing is for the offensive line to pass protect well and for them to hit a big pass early. If they can hit – I know that I know it's like pie in the sky here, but if, if they could hit a 60-yarder, you know, right off right, – you know, third pass of the play of the game, and Seth Anderson or especially Caleb Brown <laughs> would catch, run, score – that could change the the mental dynamic of the whole – certainly with the crowd, but also the offense, which needs confidence. I don't see confidence at all. Their, their body language tells me that, and then the play tells me that. Um, you see frustration with the blocking on the offensive line, especially in the pass game because Cade was getting murdered the other day. And then that comes down to coaching, and it comes down to scheme because if you're going to just allow a first-rounder to, to – roll around your left tackle. You might want to have somebody there to chip. Um, but, you know, I, I think this is a defense you can get. You can score on. It may not be easy um, to grind on, but it, you can score on it. And, and They're going to make I, me
2: throw. Mm-hmm. Michigan yeah. State's going to make Iowa throw. They're not going to let Iowa um, – maybe Iowa can impose its will and establish the run and then open everything up but Michigan state's going to make that very hard. They they're going to say, Hey, beat us down the field.
1: Yeah. And you know, their consigliere on the sidelines there is Mark Antonio. and how many <laughs> 16, 13 games one way or the other. Did we watch, you know, with the, those two little hey, diddle diddle. Yep. Sadler up the middle. <laughs> I wrote about it today, Rob. <laughs> good. Yeah. That needs to be written about whenever these teams play. Yeah, exactly. Uh, God bless his soul. You know, you know, Sadler. <laughs> you know. Very sad. Yeah. But, uh, but then, you know, he knows, everybody knows. I mean, Harlan Barnett was part of that stuff. And, yep. you know, and all you have to do is turn on the tape and say, they're running 13 personnel here. They're going to try to run the ball. Uh, let's load the box, go one-on-one on the outside. They have no faith that they can beat you. And then let them let them do it. And you know what the first play of the game should be, Rob, a 60-yard pass. One way or the other. Incomplete. Don't get it intercepted. but But – Throw it. Make sure to say, hey, we're going to be doing this tonight. Out of and 11 personnel. Out of 11 personnel. And, phew, you know, throw it. I don't care if he's open or not. Don't, just don't get him intercepted. That way you send a message immediately to Michigan State and to your team. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to go down the field. We're going to attack. And you better be prepared for this because if you want to solo up our guys, we will hit you and we will score on you because they don't have – there's no Dark or denard over there like there once was and some of the other great defensive backs that michigan state had over the years. Yes.
2: No doubt about that and um as scott said this is a game where i think you can get the crowd in it early if you hit something like that then you kind of set the tone for the game um and i get the i get the 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 twelve personnel Scott like you said when Luke was there and, mm-hmm. and Eric All and Luke Lachey were two of your best offensive weapons. But without Luke, I think you look at the re- receiver room and say, aren't there three receivers that should be on the field over Steve Stiliano's and um, Addison Estrenga,
1: at least more than they're doing? Yeah, you're right because they still ran, they still use. Two and three tight ends more than they did three wide receivers last week. You know, I mean, it's just at some point you've got to say we got to have Raggini, Vines, Anderson, and Brown in some measurement on the field more than they are. And th- and eleven personnel, if nothing else. And here's the other thing, if nothing else, to spread out the defense because when you put them all in a box I'm, like that, you know, it's you hard to run go out run. Of eleven. You could yes. have eleven. Teams do all the time, except Iowa, but um, the only time they run out of eleven is when uh, the quarterback gets sacked. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. But oh, I, I just—it's uh, frustrating as you as you can tell, just to to watch that development. And yes, quick passing game. What yeah. happened to that? Why can't just there be a one-step throw? You know, get somebody out there. You know, run. and you know, have a block, and you know. Remember, and this is. I am not looking back fondly on the Greg Davis error because I do not like what I saw schematically there at all. But remember like the, the one step swing passes that were like RPO in some respects Mm -hmm. to Matt Vandenberg from CJ Beathard was just step and throw. And then he'd catch it. And a lot of times he'd get five or six yards. It was like a pass. Everybody was block and run. They threw, you know, what happened to that? Why can't you do that? Because that might, you know, especially if you're throwing it to somebody like Caleb Brown, he might be able to turn the corner. And he's got, you know, Matt Vandenberg had some good wheels, but Brown has some quickness that they need to exploit. And and I and I don't want to hear that, well, yeah, he's still learning the system. <laughs> if you're if you're learning the system now going into game five, this system's too damn hard. Get him out there. Play. Penn State did it,
2: Scott. They ran that, those quick passes to the left side and had the tight end out there blocking and it was like a running play. Pick up yeah. five, seven yards, and then they built off of that by using two two really good running backs at Penn State, too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, that helped them run the ball. Yeah, They're giving you different looks. They're hitting you with, with different combinations, different punches, and you're having trouble keeping up. Iowa, you know where it's going to be. You know what's coming,
1: and you just have to stop it. Exactly. It's like all you have to do is say, all right, we're going to, you know, they're going to come out with a minimum one, most likely two tight ends. Um, Now that they're running a little more gap and counter, you've got to be a little more disciplined and maybe play two gap to some extent up front. But if you can slow that down, you know, we don't care about the outside because then in third down, that's when they will go to five wide once in a while or do some of that stuff. It's just it's very, very easy to defend you know predictable to you know, yeah pretty much I mean by, by formation you can see what they're trying to do and, um, but anyway I, I think this is huh? oh, I was Go gonna say this this is clearly a winnable game though all the things we've talked about with Iowa we've talked about before um, last year year before <laughs> you know countless times last year um, but this is this is one of those games where it could end up like Michigan State in 2020 during the COVID year. Or it was 49 to seven. Um, you know, you had Riley Moss pick pick six. You had Charlie Jones, uh, you know, return a punt for a touchdown. You had, you know, just scorching plays, you know, by Tyler Goodson, and and it's just to me that's where this one could end up very quickly.
2: Yeah, no doubt, Um, and that's kind of the tonic I think Iowa needs uh, is to have a breakout game offensively against a Big Ten opponent. But if we're being honest here, Scott, um, and we said this last week going in that the Penn State game wouldn't make or break this team, Um, but I think we were thinking more of a competitive game at least for a half, three quarters before Penn State wins it. If, that's the, if that was the case, it's just how Iowa lost last week that has people very, very on edge. And But if you take a step back and look at the schedule Iowa has and look at the Big Ten West with eight games left, and they said it this week, and they should believe it, everything, their goals are still in play. The Big Ten West is very much in play. Then you get to a one-game scenario in Indianapolis – who knows? Right. Mm-hmm. So you come out of Penn State and you look at what happened there and you're saying now oh, that you can't expect this team to win, you know, anything significant, but it's not the case when you look at what is left on the on the schedule. And these next two weeks would be either one would be a very bad loss.
1: No question. This is the really what you could say is this season is all about Iowa. It's not about the opponents the rest of the way. It's about what what can Iowa do? How can Iowa improve? What does Iowa make of its season? Well, it all those things that we've talked about in offense, they need to revamp. If they can revamp them, there's no reason why they can't run the run the table. You know, that here's the question for you though, Scott. Kirk knows this too.
2: So does he change much? Or does he figure because he said I mean you just listen to his own words. We do what it takes to win the game. Whatever we feel like is gonna do the so do they take chances offensively on Saturday, knowing that Michigan State's probably not going to score much on its on its defense? Or do they actually push forward to try to make the improvements that we saw necessary at Penn State? Or does Kirk just play that conservative? We're just gonna muck it up and win those 17-13 games.
1: I think they push the envelope this week, Rob. Yeah, I think right. I, I think they play do. more like they did against Western Michigan. Okay, you know, which they were a little more aggressive. Uh, you know, and, and and part of that is, as we know, and th- this is the thing that's easy. That's the most difficult to convey is, you could be that aggressive in the running game if it works.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> if you could run for five yards a carry, it doesn't matter because you're just blowing them up, and and then it looks like you're you know, being aggressive. Whereas if you're getting two yards of crack, it's the, it looks like you're being conservative. I think in this case that at least through three quarters, if the game goes as planned, I see them being that way. And then who knows, maybe with 30 seconds left and uh Dantonio on the other sidelines, maybe they'll just he'll instruct next white to just barely reach the goal the ball over the goal <laughs> line. You know, remember this, MF? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, hopefully we get some aesthetically pleasing football the next two weeks, Scott, on the offensive side, because I think everybody in you know, that follows Iowa football really needs that right now. They they yeah. need to see some signs of life on that side of the ball and give, and I think like you said, confidence in offensive guys, confidence in each other, confidence in the players and the, what they're being coached, what they're being asked to do. Because we know that game in Madison's – it's early, so you can't just say it's for the West title, but let's face it. As we came into the season, we thought these were the two te- best teams in the West. It, through four weeks, they look like the two best teams in the West. Either one could stub their toe. Uh, Wisconsin plays host to, to uh, Ohio State, so they've got their Penn State game left, basically. So, But I these next two weeks, obviously winning is the main goal, but developing and becoming better offensively has to be the 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 micro goal right now getting yourself some momentum going into Madison in a few weeks
1: you know ultimately it's also how you feel about this team and, and and this is this is speaking as much to the fans the donors the swarm donors and and the players as well I mean winning games is paramount of course nobody wants to remember a close loss I mean the one of Two of the best games I ever covered, Iowa lost, you know, the the 2015 championship game and 2010 Iowa Wisconsin game, which was phenomenal. Both of them were great games. So what they lost. Um, and I think that, you know, so winning is number one, but I think also how you feel about the team is how they perform. You know, nobody wants to go and watch a team win 51 to 44 in basketball every night. And say, well, we play great, outstanding defense. And that's, you know, when we hit, hit a bunch of free throws, nobody cares about that shit. They want to see the ball go up and down the court. And I think that's the same way here that people want to see points. They want to see movement. They want to see big plays because that's what you cheer for, you know? It's, so I think
0: and if you. You're can
2: right. Everywhere around the country, they look at the highlights from Saturday and everybody's got these like, explosive, high powered offenses. And then there's
1: our team. And then there's Iowa and we've covered Iowa for so long and it's been the same way. And it's like, God, just, you know, you go to the portal and you pick up all these players and you still don't use them. And you still, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah I don't know. We've, we've been at this for a long time, but, but I think that's part of what they need to have Saturday night is you need your fans to feel good too. Cause you want them, you know, they, they support this team. And, and I know, the, you know, Kirk will use this obviously as us against the world only don't listen to the outside noise and stuff, but you know, this is a passionate fan base. And if that passion goes away, watch out, it goes the other way badly. And, and again, and not to use basketball, you you need to view that though. I mean, there used to be split packages for basketball tickets, everything received with women's basketball used to be annual with men's basketball. And Now it's like, hey, what time do you want to show up? We'll start – we'll tip off a couple minutes after that, you know.
2: (laughs) And I think there's a cumulative effect here too, Scott, when it comes to Kirk Ferentz. I mean, he's in his 25th year, so people have that memory bank of 2014 or – you know, the last two years, there's now yeah. with he and Bro, the, there's been a snowball effect the last, you know, what I said, 30 games. Mm-hmm. So now we've, we're in that. And, and that's hard to stop sometimes. But Iowa, with these two games, has a chance to change the narrative, has a chance to show some life, has a chance to inspire some confidence, not w- only outside of the locker room, but within the locker room, which is much more
1: important. Sure, yeah, because, you know, as as much as we're talking and the fans and stuff, it's all about how they perform on the field. And if they go out and win games and they celebrate their own way, they'll be happy. But they also want to play well. You know, if it, you, you think about any of the receivers or a basketball player, if a basketball player only gets, you know, plays 10 minutes, gets one shot and misses, how does he feel after the end of the game? Yeah. You know, we won. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we won, but I didn't play very well or play very much. And wide receiver. I didn't even get a target, or I got one and it was a throwaway, <laughs> you know, or I got one catch for five yards. I mean, that's just not how you engage your team and get them energized. You want the ball with a chance to do something with it. That's why they're here. And and you know, if, if it I, I don't think it continues the same path it has been on. But if it doesn't get on a much higher trajectory very soon, you could have some discontent that, you know, at the end of the season come December, um, the portal might fill up again with some players willing to sit out a year if possible, because they don't want to be here
0: anymore.
2: Yeah. And that's a scenario that nobody wants to see around here. I'm not, I don't do a lot with uh, the questions in the YouTube chat room, Scott, but Craig, Nadler, I believe it's pronounced, last week, I believe you both said Brian had made changes and was calling a good game. Was that not true when you said that? Don't we need to see where things are after Wisconsin? Um, I'm not sure we were, like, all in Brian's corner. I know, me specifically, um, I pointed out some play calls and some formations, some stacked receivers – some misdirection. I, I thought, I think there have been some wrinkles and adjustments this year. I just don't think there have been enough and it was exposed last week. And now that you're playing programs in the big 10 that are familiar with what you're doing, that makes it even more imperative that you're, you get out of tendencies and um, open up your playbook a little bit more. And you should be able to, you're, Players should be more comfortable as we get through a third of the season to be able to handle more.
1: Yeah, and I'm not I'm not going to walk back my comments. I, I thought that he did play, you know, did call a good game against Western Michigan. I did see changes in the running game and, and the fact that they were deciding to go more counter and more gap as opposed to zone. And I thought it it worked better for this team. And obviously we saw a lot of good running against Western Michigan. Now, you know, it's Western Michigan. Uh, so you got to take them, and they're missing
2: two two of the. I, they were against Western as well, but I mean it. It matters that that Jazzy on Patterson and Caleb Johnson are out. It it does yeah. matter.
1: Yeah, I guess where my feelings have changed, or at least my opinion has been altered by the the circumstances, is that your expectation is when you lose the best offensive player on your roster and Luke Lachey. That you better make better use of the other players on your offensive roster. And that is at wide receiver. No offense to again, like you said, Rob, Steve Stilianos or Addison Ostranga. They could very well be, you know, impactful players. And I, I agree that they probably are, but get your receivers more involved. And when you start to look at the the cumulative of wow, only what 35 targets in four games for your receivers? Only 14 catches? Come on, man. I encourage folks
2: to read Scott's article from yesterday on The Athletic, too. He's got the receipts, so to speak. So check that out on wide receiver usage. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. a A little promo there.
1: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. It's still one dollar <laughs> offer for the next two days. is. <laughs> I'm yeah. reading about
2: my Jets now. I get to oh. read about the Jets on the athletic. Because oh, driver.
1: I'm sorry. Our are <laughs> the excitement of our pro football teams have just went right four, four plays small, for you? Most most
2: painful offense to watch. The Jets, the Bears, or Iowa?
1: Yes. <laughs> yes um, is a good answer this yeah, is the correct answer the correct answer is yes <laughs> i uh i mean you think about it. well zach wilson is uh, you want to get really kind of feisty this. He's i know kind of i
2: was just i was just saying it's <laughs> Iowa's coming out you
1: know <laughs> that's what people could really be mean uh. about but, but uh alas now i i mean i do think they perform well this week. I I do. I, and if they don't, then it's going to, at some point it even, you know, I try to be pretty balanced in my perspective on Iowa football, especially, and Hey, but look at the cumulative of Kirk Ferentz's career, the wins, everything else like that. If, if they continue to go down this path offensively, the same schematics, the same approach, then everybody who has criticized them and called for Brian's head is completely justified. And if it, if it doesn't change, then something has to change. And you could be looking at some changes that they're not, you know, I I don't know. You know, I, I just think that just be, let's be careful that it's not a kingdom. You know, they always talk about traveling trophies that you rent them for a year. You know, this is Kirk Ferentz's career, this is his job. He's been there 25 years, but somebody else is going to coach after him. And somebody else coached before him, so he's kind of in that position. You know, might want to start thinking about changing some things up. He wouldn't listen to me, Scott.
2: I know that, but you know, you've secured your legacy as you know a successful college football coach. Why not change a little? Why not? Why not at this point? show people, Hey, I can, I can, I can uh, adapt and I can, um, modernize what I do. And our, our foundation and philosophy is sound. I just need to adjust some things, put my son in a position to succeed, let him do a little bit more, allow my players, trust in them a little bit more. Cause I think there's sometimes a lack of trust in the players, um,
1: just let it hang out at this point. What's he got to lose? Yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely right. That's a perfect way to put it. Because when you look again at the at the history of, you know, he's a Hall of Fame coach. One of the greatest to ever do it in Big 10 history. I I will fight on that. However, there's a reason why he doesn't get mentioned with Bill Snyder with Nick Saban or whatever. I mean, Nick Saban's changed you know, Bill Snyder's a, you know, an offensive guru, but, but Nick Ch- Nick Saban had the same type of philosophy and he changed. He decided to get uncomfortable, be comfortable with being uncomfortable as they say. And Iowa has just, well, we're just going to do it this way. You know, like, like we're the same high school coach after 30 years, we're still going to run the I formation into the plowing line. And, and, uh, you know, you've got to, if he can make those changes, you know, and here's the thing, Rob, that, that kind of baffles me is when things have happened off the field, you know, he has made changes, you know, 2015, you know, the new Kirk and they uh, went to morning practices. He became a little more open with different things. And what happened in 2020 to, if it's, I, you know, we can all agree or disagree on it, whether it was enough, but it was lot, one way or the other. Those types of things have made him able to last and be successful. Why not take that one step with the offense? That's it. You take that step. There's no reason why you can't be a top three or four or five team in the Big Ten every year, even with the newcomers coming in. And we shall see these
2: last eight games of this season, regular season are fascinating. No matter what transpires, we're going to be entertained and yeah. interested. And hopefully that as Scott's has said throughout this podcast, hopefully there continues to be engagement and apathy does not set in because that would yeah. be the worst case scenario. Let's get to pick Scott before we get out of here. Okay. Give me the bad news.
1: Yeah. It wasn't your best week, Rob. The week before was pretty good. Um, you were two six and one.
2: Oh, uh, that's bad.
1: Yeah, we we uh, we pushed on Rutgers, Michigan, because it was minus twenty four, and it was thirty one to seven. But uh, I was five three and one, so I had a much uh, I had a better week. We both blew Iowa. Yeah, and, uh, and so and we both uh, blew Nebraska because they only won by fourteen, and we both blew Indiana. You know, which uh, went in overtime against Akron akram wadley <laughs>
2: <laughs> did you have um, northwestern
1: yes Plus the 12? good on you because yeah. i yeah. did not see that coming Sp- certainly not didn't see yeah.
2: Northwestern winning
1: yeah but well, we both had notre dame which was good we both yeah. had maryland minus seven uh you took illinois again and yeah. uh same on you i'm going down on with that ship
2: i've been going down with that ship let's see if yeah. i do it again this week
1: yeah and then uh I had Wisconsin minus six and a half. You took Purdue on the road, so – or at home, I should say. But uh, anyway, I'm three now because I won by three. I'm uh, up by three. And we got an all-Saturday slate now. So we're back – we're into this. And first up is Louisiana at the Mighty Gophers. Minnesota minus 12 and a half, Rob.
2: Yeah, Louisiana is a pretty good program for a group of five program. Um, I think people are going to be on that side because of Minnesota losing at Northwestern. So I will go against the grain and throw the points and take Minnesota.
1: You'll take Minnesota after, uh, yep. after last week. Uh, I sensed the
2: bounce back.
1: Yeah, I guess I can, I can kind of see that too. Um, it's, it's just weird. You know, the way they have played the last few weeks, you just like, you know, is there anything left here for, for the uh, mighty Gophers, are they, you know, rolling down the?
2: If there was the ever reason and evidence that the Big Ten needs to do away with divisions, it's <laughs> this year because this yeah. is bad.
1: Yeah, Oh no, you're you're right. I'm. All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Minnesota. I, I was is it gonna twelve or twelve and a half. It's twelve and a half, but I'm still gonna take the the Gophers, and part of that is because. Louisiana barely beat Buffalo, who is one of the worst teams in the country. So um, now the second one, and th- this cracks me up for a lot of reasons. Penn State minus 26 at Northwestern. Did you see the tweets from the Penn State reporters? About the noise? Yeah, that they, they know music <laughs> because they want them to prepare for the environment. They should um,
2: have played like Zamfir, master of the pan flute. Yeah. You remember Zan Master of the pamphlet yes. we were yes, kids? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the wooden or <laughs> or, or Enya.
1: <laughs> oh, that's funny.
2: <laughs> so it's Penn State Yeah, I'm, I'm um I'm gonna take Northwestern. What's it twenty six, Scott?
1: Twenty six, yeah. yeah.
2: Give me the give me the points here too. I'm gonna s I am going to i will get sucked in by Northwestern.
1: I mean, there is no question in my mind whatsoever Penn State is a elite team but as we know going into a place like this um sleepy and and northwestern northwestern i'll give them credit they played hard last week they won they came back they had no reason to do that
2: yeah that locker room is not lost yeah and you worry about that coming to the season it is not lost they've done a good job there and uh the grass at ryan field will probably be 12 inches long
1: yeah, exactly.
2: Well, they haven't yeah. mowed it in two weeks.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that will be. A, you know, that, that's always the case. It's like let's slow them down. And uh, I wonder what Wrigley's grass will be when I was there. <laughs> Next one is uh, Indiana at Maryland. Maryland minus fourteen. I'm still going to take Maryland. Uh, they could go five and zero, which would be a really good start for them. If this was a different team than Indiana like any other team in the big 10, I might go the other route, but uh, I don't, I think Indiana might be the worst team in the big 10.
2: I might be there with you. If we, if it's not the one that Iowa plays this week, Um, (laughs) I will uh, I'm with you. I, I, I think the Terrapins, the Terrapins, if you want to watch good offense, watch the Terrapins, they play good offense.
1: Yeah. They got a pretty good quarterback too. What are, you know, what his completion percentage would be if he was here. <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, Michigan at Nebraska, Michigan minus 18 on the road. I, I fear saying this. Give me the points. I'll take the Huskers. And I don't think Huskers win, but Huskers plus 18, I have probably taken.
2: Do you know which team in the country is number one in rush defense? Off oh, the top of my head. It's Nebraska. Mm. Their defense is legit, Scott. Yeah, they're, they're playing good defense, so I'll take the eighteen points too. I I don't think they'll win this game, but I think they'll give Michigan some trouble. Uh, its defense will give Michigan some trouble and 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 keep it a relatively close game. But that's one of those games too where you can see a late score by Michigan blowing up that eighteen. But I'll take it.
1: Yeah, I can also see twenty-seven to ten. Yeah. Yeah, let's, hope. <laughs> let's hope for that. Uh, I, I will say uh, Nebraska's offense is comparable to Iowa's right now, and if if they can get their offense somewhat right, I think we'll invite them into a three way conversation to the Big Ten West uh, competition. And I know I I, I know we, we, everybody every year. Oh, Nebraska. Ah! Well, you know Iowa hasn't earned the right to just say it's their fight yet, so. Um Illinois at Perdiddle. Um minus one and a half for the home boiler makers on their homecoming. Uh, oh, oh, this one's really difficult, by the way. Give me
2: my Illini, baby. I'm staying on the train.
1: Illinois, I'm a on the Bielema. On the Bielema train. Me and
2: Bert, you're running that, conducting
1: it. <laughs> oh man. Uh, I'm with you. I hate I'm freaking out about picking Illinois again for the millionth time, but I'm going to take them. Uh, I, I went against them last week, but I think they can beat Purdue. You know, that's Josh uh, Whitman's hometown, Brian Walters. There's going to be some interesting things. But this one didn't have a line because of the whole New Jersey thing. Wagner at Rutgers. I guess we'll just pick it straight up.
2: I'll take a win. I need it. Yeah. Last week, I'll take the win.
1: Right. It's just kind of a It's like free parking, you know, a monopoly, and you know, and and you put the things in there, the the fines in there. Finally, uh, the game that I think is probably, if not the game of the week, one of them, and that's one we cover. And what the latest number you have is twelve and a half? Is that right? Or I have eleven and a half written down.
2: But let me see what Brett Brett Rivers has real quick. Yeah, talk talk amongst yourselves. It hopefully it gives me the face recognition here so I can get in.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll just say that uh, there are two teams on a bye: Ohio State and Wisconsin. And uh, you know, Ohio State, you know, doesn't have Lou Holtz on its side, but Ohio State has America and the state of Ohio on its side. Wisconsin, however, um, I'm still unsure what to think. They played pretty well against the Boilers in the second half, but Chaz Malusi, you know, losing him is going to be a, a big loss for the for the Badgers and. Uh, How are they going to handle that? I don't know. Bent Rivers has it
2: at 12, Scott. Okay. And uh, 36 and a half still. So same as last night has not moved.
1: Okay. I wrote down 11 and a half earlier this week. So 12 is 12. It is. I'm going to take Iowa. Um, I do, you know, basically, because I think that they can be better than that. And they should be better than that. Now, if they aren't better than that, there's a problem. But you know they 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 have struggled at times being a double digit favorite um, under Kirk Ferentz. But it's been a while really since that's been a big factor. But still, I'll take the Hawkeyes.
2: I will too. Night game at Kinnick. Um yeah. atmosphere atmosphere will be great, um, and I think Iowa can get out to a good start here. Keep the crowd engaged and uh, take the sport take Sparty out of it early.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, we picked the same games this week, so we either suck together or mediocre together or so awesome together.
2: Listeners can decide whether they believe in us as a tandem or not, and uh, hopefully I have a bounce-back week. Yeah. And you continue to have a good week because that means I will have a good week.
1: So, Right, Yeah. Yeah. So well, good luck to you on that.
2: <laughs> All right, folks. I think we've run our course here. Hopefully we had a little positive conversation in here along with uh, the uh, ugly review of last week's game at Penn state. Hopefully next week we have a much more favorable outcome to discuss. And we also have big 10 media or not big 10 Iowa basketball media days next week too. So We'll start to fold that in as well as things get crazier and crazier and busier and busier here on the Iowa beat. But thank you everybody for listening. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Again, subscribe to the feed, get a fresh Hawkeye centric podcast every day of the week. Um, and uh, give us some likes too. That always helps. If you like us, if you don't like us, then you shouldn't be listening. So anyway, thanks to everybody involved in the podcast. And we will talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Bye, Scott.